So today is a special day. Um, if you do not know, today is Pastor Jared's birthday. That's right, that's right. And whenever you uh, say happy birthday to somebody, there's like, seems to be two types of people. There's those people that are so excited that it's their birthday and they want to announce it to the world. And then there's those types of people that, yeah, <laughs> they absolutely not, they don't want to tell anybody at all. Like uh, when uh, the cake comes out and they start singing happy birthday, they just, they just want to hide. Um, I'm sure Jared is thrilled that I'm sharing with everybody that it's his birthday. Um, but if you could do me a favor, uh, this week, if you're able to, if you could write Jared a letter, um, send him an email, um, send him a text, uh, just maybe share a special memory or a word of encouragement. I just want us as a church family to continue not only to encourage our church leaders, but just one another um, on a regular basis. And so uh, I love uh, working with uh, Pastor Jared. Um, he's a special guy. He, he loves and cares for us so well, and it's awesome to see a man that loves Jesus and is passionate about preaching God's word and sharing the gospel. I remember back when I joined the Bethany staff, um, I found out that we were studying through the book of Genesis, and uh, I got really excited, and I said, hey, Jared, when we get to Genesis chapter 39, I have to preach. Like, I just have to. And he looked at me, and he said, he said why? And I said, because in Genesis 39 is my life verse. And he was like shocked. He's like, really? Well, what's your life verse? And I read him Genesis 39, 6. It says this. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. <laughs> Isn't the word of God so true? It's, it's biblical. I told Jared, this is what the Bible says about me. What does it say about you? Actually, I forgot that Jared is mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And it says this about Jared. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived uh, after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters, okay? Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And so the Bible clearly says that Joseph was a young, good-looking guy and that Jared is the second oldest man mentioned in the Bible, <laughs> which I thought was pretty fitting for his birthday today, so... Happy birthday, Jared. You're an old man. <laughs> um, in, all, in all seriousness, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 39 has been a fascinating uh, chapter to study, and there's so much good stuff for us today. And so we'll dive in and, and just take a look at a few parts of this chapter. There's so much jam-packed in there. But uh, today we just continue the story of Joseph. And uh, we see in this chapter that God is consistently with Joseph, even in constant temptation. Joseph's rise to power and success, his ability to overcome temptation after temptation, his strength to move forward in suffering, it's impressive. And yet we recognize that Joseph was not alone. The Bible doesn't leave us hanging as to who was with Joseph. In the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter, it says this, the Lord was with Joseph. It shows up again and again, eight times total just in this chapter. And we see throughout this chapter that God was with and was working through Joseph. That God's loving presence, that his constant care uh, was with Joseph no matter the circumstance, at his circumstances. It was God who helped Joseph flourish even in the most unlikely place. So what a reminder for us today. The Lord is with us just as he was with Joseph. And so as we work through this passage, we're going to take a look at three things. That the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house, 
that the Lord was with Joseph with Potiphar's wife, and the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's prison. We'll be taking a look at three major temptations um, that we could probably identify with a few. The, the temptation of success, and then the second one was the temptation of subduction, and then the third was the sem- temptation of self-pity. And so uh, as we just get started, will you just pray with me as we, uh, as we open up God's word? Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for today, that we can take a look at this chapter, that we can recognize, Lord, um, it's a reminder for us today that when things go right, uh, you are with us. When things and temptations come, you are with us. When things go terribly wrong, Lord, you're with us. And so just the title of this talk is that, Lord, you're, you're with Joseph, just as you are with us today. Remind us of that truth. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So the first, the Lord was with, was with Joseph in Potiphar's house, the temptation of success. If you remember, Joseph can't catch a break. Joseph, after his brothers conspired to kill him, he decided to, they decided to sell him to this group of traders who took Joseph down to Egypt and sold him to a man named Potiphar. Who is Potiphar? Verse 1 tells us that Potiphar was an Egyptian officer, the captain of guard for Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt. Captain of the guard. What, what does that mean? Um, is it like head of security? Uh, however, Potiphar was most likely um, the, the chief uh, commander and chief of the armed forces. And so we have Potiphar, this very, very powerful man, and he's a successful man. So we have Potiphar, this powerful Egyptian man, in, in charge of the most powerful kingdom at the time. And then we have Pharaoh, the king, and Potiphar, the commander of chief, and, and they're at the top of what we would call maybe the pyramid, um, this pinnacle of power and success and wealth and respect. And then comes little Joe. This 17-year-old kid enters the picture. Can you imagine that? And think of Joseph, like, sit in his shoes for a second. He was kidnapped. He was sold by his brothers. He has no home, no community no understanding of this new culture that he's been thrown into. Joseph is surrounded by the worship of other gods. Egyptian gods are all over the place. Even Pharaoh considered himself to be a god. And despite all the things that were stacked against Joseph, God allowed him to thrive in the most unlikely place, Egypt. Maybe we don't know a lot about Egypt, but Kent Hughes writes this about Egypt. He said, Joseph was at the epicenter of darkness. An aristocratic house where the rulers of the land came and went, a penthouse of Egyptian opulence, wealth, and culture. And so Joseph had been brought into this power, um, this center of power and wealth and success. It's not a very favorable place for a young and wounded follower of God. And yet God was with Joseph. Will you, will you follow with me um, in Genesis 39, um, verse, uh, verse 1? It reads this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he had to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight in his sight, Potiphar's, and attended him. And he made him Joseph, the overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. Listen to the language of verse 5. From the time that he made him Joseph, overseer in his house, and over all that he had, 
the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had, everything, in Joseph's charge. And because of him, Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Wow. We see in the story that Joseph becomes Potiphar's right-hand man. Joseph becomes a very successful businessman. He was the COO, the second-in-command of the whole estate, gaining power and success. In house and field, it said in verse 5, so we can see all the household affairs, they ran smoothly. Livestock and crops, they flourished. Joseph became a successful businessman. And think of Potiphar. Like, he was doing all these things before, and now he's like, Joseph, like, you got this, man. All he had to worry about was what was on the menu for brunch. Maybe he had to worry about what he was going to have for second dinner. That was pretty much it. Joseph was in charge. And Joseph, with this newfound success, could either choose to bless people or to control people, to bless them or to control them. And Joseph knew that the power that he had been given, the success that he had been given, was from the Lord. It was because of the Lord that all was in, everything was in, he was in charge of everything that Potiphar had. It was because of the Lord that, that Joseph was a blessing to everything and everyone. And you can see the temptation here, can't you? The temptation of power. With Joseph, he was, he was owned, and now he running a, he's running an uh, operation. He was powerless, and now he has control of all of the power moves. The first temptation we see here is the temptation of success and all that it brings. Joseph could have easily taken the credit and tried to be the hero of the story, and yet Joseph chooses to follow and to be a blessing to others, and he chose to make God the hero of the story. So how do we use our power and success that we've been given? And if you think, uh, I don't have that type of power and success, yes, you do. God has given us all areas of influence, skills, abilities, and authority. No matter how old or young you are, you play a part in this. Whether you're a parent or a president of a company, we all are supposed to use our power, our success for good and for not corruption. I love how Tim Keller, he writes this. He said, Joseph used power but was not used by it. He used power, but he was not used by it. He took up power, but he was not taken by power. That's not always easy to do. And yet Joseph chooses daily to love God versus love self, the love of self. And so Joseph, can you imagine, he's in a culture that doesn't worship his God, acknowledge his God. He has a boss now that doesn't worship and acknowledge his God, and yet he is still faithful to the Lord because the Lord is with him. The story also reminds us that we don't have to be a missionary or a pastor or a speaker um, or have even all these great talents to be used by God. God used Joseph, a businessman, to do his will. And so where we live, where we work, where we, where we get coffee, who we come into contact with, um, who we're talking to through a, uh, a mask, um, all these places in our life, even our online presence, it's all areas that God has given us to be a blessing to others. And so be a blessing. It's not always an easy task to use power and not be used by it, but let's be a blessing. Do you find yourself, that, do you find that it's a difficult task taking up power and not being corrupted by it? I sometimes do. I remember uh, my wife Amanda, um, seven years ago, she started working for this guy named John who owned a uh, successful e-commerce business, and she still works with him today. 
Um, it's a small family company, and uh, the first time I met her, boss Johnny, who's a really cool guy, he's the kind of guy that like buys a Tesla, and then like you're like, hey, that's a really nice car. He's like, hey, you want to take it for a spin? And you're like, yes, I do. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's my philosophy. I don't have to own a boat. I just have to know someone that owns a boat. Am I right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, he's a really nice guy. And so the first day Amanda started working for this guy, John, and she came home, and I was like, hey, how was work? How, was, how are your employees? How's your boss? She's like, it was really great. I'm like, awesome. Day one, we, we got this. After a month, I was like, how's everything going? Boss, employees, work, like, things are going great. No, no problems? No. No frustrations? No major ones? Like, everything's great. After a year, it was the same story. And I was just like, you're being treated like this, this well at this, at this company that could be just, just be using you and, and like working you like crazy hours? And she's like, yeah, this is, it's just a great place to work. And I just kept on thinking and thinking, like, this is, this is unreal. I've never seen a boss treat his employees this well. Seven years later, Amanda still enjoys where she works and enjoys her boss. She doesn't have any real big problems or frustrations. Isn't that amazing? And um, her boss, I'm not trying to, like, elevate him to be, like, some, some type of savior, but he's, he's really great to his employees and to his church and to his community. But the best part is this. When I talk to John, he doesn't take credit for it. He loves his wife, his family, and, his, and, and um, his close friends, but it doesn't stop there. He's an owner of a company and a place of power, and yet he uses that power and that success that he's gained to be a blessing to other people. It's a great reminder for us. It's so easy to abuse and to use others in places of success and power. We see that all over the news and in our world today. Success, power, control, it's all self-focused, self-wanting, personal agendas, Instead of God-focused, God-serving, giving God the credit. Do we live in such a way that we make God look great? It's the question I've been kind of thinking this past week. Do we live in such a way that makes God looks, look great, that we put Jesus on display? And so we've seen how Joseph uses his power in verse 1 through 6. And now let's take a look at Potiphar's wife and her power and her position um, and how she doesn't choose to bless people, but rather to use people and to get what she wants. And so the first temptation is the temptation of, of a success found in Potiphar's house, and the second temptation is the temptation of seduction with Potiphar's wife. And we've seen in my life verse, Joseph was a good-looking guy. Potiphar's wife took notice to Joseph's success and rise to power, and then she started noticing his appearance. While her husband was worrying about what he was eating, Joseph was making all the decisions, and Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph lustfully. And so Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Follow with me in verse 6. It says this, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, hey Joe, hey, and said, lie with me. I mean, this is a family service, but those two words in Hebrew are basically like Joe, now. Her short demand for Joseph was followed by an immediate refusal for Joseph. Something that he, he didn't all of a sudden just think, hey, I'm going to say these things. He, he had a plan for if this were to happen. And here's his refusal. We read it in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, uh, because, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. 
and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What a great refusal that we see. He doesn't want to sin against Potiphar. He doesn't want to sin against his wife. And he doesn't want to sin, most importantly, against God. But the temptation, the seduction wasn't over. Potiphar's wife persisted in her pursuit of Joseph. And she spoke to Joseph, verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. The temptation wasn't over. Verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his garment to be with him, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hands and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and in, his, in her hand and had fled out of the house, um, here comes the first lie that we see, and then followed by a second lie. The first lie found in verse 14. As soon as this happened, she called to the men of the house and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. The first lie was to the men of the household. Here's the second lie now. She tells the same story to her husband. Verse 16, then she, then she laid up her garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So Joseph is falsely accused here. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph and she fails. Um, I've had the wonderful privilege of working with uh, students since 2007, and one of the temptations, uh, one of the topics is the temptation um, of of visual temptations. And so when I'm discipling um, young men, we talk about this a lot. We talk about visual temptations, and uh, we talk about how their parents and their grandparents um, don't have to deal with visual temptation as much as they do. I mean, it gets worse and worse as the years go on. And often what I hear from these young men is say, hey, Joe, when I'm married, these temptations will just go away. They think as they get older, these temptations will just go away. But, but temptation, you name it, whatever that temptation is, doesn't just go away. My dad told me that my great-grandfather, who lived, lived to be 101, um, that he said that the devil never gives up. And he said this, he said, I have to battle at 101 years of age with temptation, temptation as much as today as I ever had um, in my entire life. Isn't that crazy? At 101, he's still battling with temptations. Temptations of power, greed, control, lust, self-loathing. They never stop whether you're old or you're young. Temptation is going to be there. Temptation does not have an age limit. But the question we look here is how does Joseph resist this temptation, this specific temptation? And people try to create rules for, like, what do you do if you're in, in, these, in these kind of situations? And the first temptation, first thing that Joseph, we see that Joseph does is he runs. So we're like, we're taking notes. We're like, okay, run. Great. All right, what's next, Joe? <laughs> I got it. But we see Joseph doesn't run 
um, just from something or, or from someone, he runs to God. He doesn't just say no, he also gives voice, as we saw earlier, and reason for why he refuses. Isn't that amazing? So often Christians are told to to um, suppress their desires, to just say no. Christians often look inside themselves to do better, to be better, to just say no to temptation. But we need to look inside, not inside ourselves, but we need to look up towards God. We need to spend time with him to be reminded of the gospel. We're not called to suppress our desires of self, but to enhance our desires for Jesus. Amen? We're not called to suppress our desires for self, but to enhance their desires for Jesus. But what if I've gone too far? I've discipled many men, many young men, and they've asked this question. What happens if I just went too far and I, I couldn't turn back? And here's the reminder that I give to myself and to everybody that, that, I, that I teach these things. I remind them that before a temptation, during a temptation, or after a temptation, what do you need the most? What do you need the most? It's to try better, to be better, to sit in that shame and guilt? No, what you need is to run to Jesus. So just as Potiphar's wife daily pursued uh, Joseph and her plan didn't work, it didn't work because Joseph was daily pursuing and desiring God. The more we trust in Jesus, set our minds on the things of the Spirit, the more we're able to overcome all temptations. We don't need more willpower. We don't need more we power. We need more God power. Did Joseph want many things? Yes, but not as much as he wanted God. Amen? I believe that that is the secret. You see, the love of God over all else puts all else in its place. So run to Jesus for strength. Run to Jesus for help. Run to Jesus for forgiveness if you're experiencing shame and guilt. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life, and he does it well. There's no temptation that you cannot overcome because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And so don't let anybody or anyone say that you can't overcome this, that, or the other temptation. You can. God is with you just as he was with Joseph. And so we learned that uh, the first thing is the temptation of success. The second is the temptation of seduction. And the third is this, the temptation. uh, The Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's prison. It's the temptation of self-pity. Follow with me in verse 19 says this, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, he was angry, his anger was kindled. Rightfully so. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. I love verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keepers of the prison. And the keepers of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the, all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one that did it. The keepers of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. He's the hero. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So Potiphar was, was furious I mean, there, there's even some speculation that he might not even believed his wife because he could have easily put Joseph, um, could have, could have put Joseph to death. But God spared Joseph's life and his work wasn't done. 
His, his wife, Potiphar's wife, stood by her false story. She had Joseph, Joseph's clothes as evidence, and so Potiphar had to put Joseph in prison. I mean, could life get any worse for Joseph? I mean, think about it. If I were him, I'd just want to give up. I want to throw in the towel. I want to blame God, blame those who hurt me, become angry, depressed. He could have looked at all that he lost, all that he went through, all that God allowed him to go through and just given up. Has Joseph suffered so much? It just doesn't really make sense. The suffering doesn't make sense. And that's often with a lot of suffering, right? It just doesn't make sense. You hear about that all the time. Why did that happen to that person? I once heard a pastor say that our ability to explain suffering is a lack of ever understanding suffering at all. In other words, the more you suffer, the more it doesn't make sense. So often, often suffering leads to the temptation of doubt, doubt of God's goodness, and to self-pity. And self-pity is what we see here as the third and major temptation in the text. I once heard someone say that um, the younger generation, the reason why they're leaving the faith is because of suffering. The number one reason why they're leaving the faith is because of suffering. They're saying, this isn't what I signed up for. You said I'd have a better quality of life if I follow Jesus. This is not a better quality of life. Life is still hard. Things are still not going my way. And so suffering is, is, a, is a big issue when it comes to people leaving the faith. Now, let's face it, Joseph's suffering is really bad, but we all go through suffering. Maybe during this time of COVID, you've, you've, you've gone through a lot of suffering that you just did not expect. You were blindsided. What do you do with that? What do we do with that? If you haven't experienced suffering, you will. It's a broken world, but God came to redeem it. I love how the Bible um, talks about Joseph, and even the gospel writers write about this. Um, they knew the world was broken. And I'm going to read this quote. It's kind of long, but it's so good by Brock Morgan. He writes this. What's amazing to look at is how the writers of the New Testament and the early church understood suffering. They knew they lived in a broken world and that people suffered because of it. And they knew that there was an enemy who played a major role in the world. And in the midst of all of it, they still chose to follow Jesus knowing full well it would naturally lead them to extreme hardship. They were so convinced of God's love, they knew that despite of the evil intentions of, of the enemy or of human beings, and despite the natural brokenness of the universe, God would work out God would work things out in the end. He would mysteriously take all the horror in the world and make it right one day. Did they fully understand it? No, but they were okay with living in the tension of it all, and they fully embraced mystery without feeling the need to have all their questions answered. So God doesn't uh, promise that we won't suffer, but he does promise that he will be with us now and forever for those who follow Jesus. He does promise that he will make all wrongs right again. He does promise that through Jesus, sin has been defeated. And so as Christians, we know that temptation and suffering does not have the final word. Amen? Years later, we read in the New Testament and we see in all over the Old Testament that there came a greater and a better Joseph, Jesus Christ. All-powerful, all-loving Jesus, he humbled himself we see how Jesus is the new and better Joseph. You see, Joseph was betrayed and sold. 
He's betrayed by his brothers and by Potiphar, and he was sold. Jesus was also betrayed by Judas and sold for, for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph's coat and garment was taken from him. Jesus was also stripped of his clothes before heading to the cross. Joseph was innocent and yet ended up in a pit and then in prison to one day save his family and thousands of other lives from famine. Jesus was completely innocent of all his wrongdoings, lived the perfect life, and willingly went to the cross to save the world. Jesus is the greater and better Joseph. So often I, I read these stories and we read them together and we just think, we think, hey, I, I, the story's about Joseph. Joseph is the hero. Or we say we want to be like Joseph. We see a godly man overcoming temptation after temptation. We see a godly man in, um, experiencing difficulty and pain and working through that and making it. Joseph's journey to even more success we'll study in later chapters. But Joseph is not the hero of the story. Reflecting on this chapter this week, I was just thinking through, when I look at the cross of Christ and see Jesus, the most beautiful, the most innocent, the perfect person, the Son of God who willingly went to the cross for my sin, I don't see myself in the story of Joseph. I find myself most identifying with Potiphar's wife. I too am guilty of sinning against God and not sending a man, an innocent man, to prison, but sending an innocent man to the cross. God the Father, when Jesus was on the cross, he took our sin and he poured it out on, on, on Christ. He poured out his love to the world through Christ. And so in the story, I see my failures and I see Jesus' faithfulness. It's really amazing to think through that I don't just sit in my failures, that Jesus calls me new. He calls us his sons, his daughters, that we are considered justified, just as if we didn't sin. We are considered righteous. Jesus took our place. What great news that we are his beloved. So whatever temptation comes your way, we can look at Joseph and be reminded he went through some pretty crazy temptations of success, seduction, and self-pity. And yet through God being with him, he was able to move forward in life. And us in the church, through Christ with us, Jesus with us, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, we were able to push through all temptations.